1: On this episode, I talk with Jess, a holistic health and nutrition coach, about how women can take a root cause approach to hormonal
2: imbalances and digestive issues. Something that we might not contribute to a hormone imbalance as well is um, the state of your nervous system. So if you're kind of, I, I, I think I did mention anxiety a few moments ago, but if you kind of always feel a little bit on edge or you feel like you're always busy or you always have to be busy or you have just like a never ending list of things to do and you can never relax or never have downtime right so those things let you know that your nervous system is kind of in this activated high alert state right and if your nervous system is kind of here and if you're having trouble sleeping and everything kind of irritates you <laughs> whether it's pms time or just all the time that lets you know that you're you're kind of in that fight or flight mode right and that will Directly impact your hormones because the body will always want to prioritize cortisol production before, you know, sex hormone production before um, digestion, breaking down your food, things like that.
0: Hi,
1: and welcome to the Parentologist Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Kim. The Parentologist Podcast is a show about everything parenting with a therapeutic twist. Each episode focuses on a variety of relatable topics, including parenting, family, children, relationships, mental health, and pop culture. Hear from a variety of medical professionals, psychological experts, authors, celebrities, and other parents with inspiring stories. You'll feel like you're in the same room with your friends getting all of your questions answered. You'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll learn, and you'll have fun. Jess, thank you so much for being here today on the podcast. I am so excited to talk to you about everything hormonal imbalances today.
2: Yes, thanks for having me, Kim. I love talking about all things hormones, so let's get into it. I'd love that.
1: Well, let's start with what causes hormone imbalances? Because I know I've been suffering for from hormone imbalances pretty much my entire life. Um, every doctor I pretty much have ever gone to since I was a teenager and I hit puberty has told me I've had an, a hormonal imbalance. So let's start with what that is and where does it come from?
2: Okay. So this is a loaded question. There, yes, there yes, are a sorry, <laughs> <I> just, <laughs> well, You said, let's get started. I, I just boom yeah, right, right there. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, it's good. This is... It's one of those things where it's it's often it's cumulative and it's several things that contribute to a horm- to hormonal imbalances, which I think also why that's why it makes it so complex for women to tackle. Right. Because they they can't just I'm always saying it's a lot more than just your diet and your exercise, even though, yes, those two things are components. But it's very complex because, yeah, we can't just only address the diet or we can't only address taking certain supplements. Right. So it's a lot of things that can contribute usually over time to hormonal imbalances. Um, and we'll get into those. But kind of first is like what things kind of let you know that you there might be something off with your hormones. And usually it's symptoms that are really, really common that a lot of us share, but even though they're common, they're not necessarily normal, right? So a couple of these would be, um, PMS. So this is a big one. So horrible PMS, um, miserable cycles. Like when you dread your period and you know that for a week, week and a half, you're going to be on the couch. You can't function. You're going to be canceling plans. You're going to feel miserable, really heavy periods. You have to constantly keep changing your pad or your tampon, um, really debilitating cramps, cramps where you need to reach for like an over-the-counter something to like get you through your day, horrible mood swings. Um, Also like maybe your energy might kick up but often your energy will dip down. Your hunger levels might be all over the place. You might get sugar cravings. So just basically miserable PMS. That's like a really big one. Um, If there's any irregularity in your cycles, so cycle length, if your cycle is too short or a little bit on the lighter side, that could also be um, a hormonal imbalance. If your cycle, if you have any spotting in between your cycles, A healthy cycle can range from 24, 25 days up until 34, 35 days. So if you're not kind of falling in that range, um, you know, if you're doing like a 16 day cycle, or sometimes some women have like, you know, 40 day cycles, that could also be um, a symptom as well. Um, And then of course, they're just kind of the general uh, things that I think a lot of women go through day to day, but they wouldn't necessarily attribute it to a hormonal imbalance. So fatigue, We see this a lot in the afternoon. That's connected to your blood sugar, which could then also be connected to, obviously, that is connected to your hormones, but that could contribute to hormonal imbalances. Um, Brain fog is another one where you're having a tough time concentrating, just anxiety, low mood, low motivation, just a general kind of a blah feeling. Um, And then, of course, there's a lot of digestive issues. So we have a lot of women that are really struggling with just optimal digestion. Uh, Dealing with bloating, Um, they might drink some water and all of a sudden their stomach is sticking out. Uh, A lot of food sensitivities. So a lot of things that are happening with the gut. The gut is very stressed out. Um, Constipation. (laughs) So that is not normal. You should be pooping one, two, or or for some people, three times a day. If you are not pooping, I would say that's definitely like I'm like waving my invisible red flag. that is a huge, huge indicator that something serious is going on in terms of your gut, your body's not eliminating. So your liver might be a little bit sluggish, stressed out. And if you are not pooping, you're not eliminating toxins and excess uh, hormones, right? So that's a really big one too. But I think also, you know, something that we might not contribute to a hormone imbalance as well is um, the state of your nervous system. So if you're kind of I I think I did mention anxiety a few moments ago, but if you kind of always feel a little bit on edge or you feel like you're always busy or you always have to be busy or you have just like a never ending list of things to do and you can never relax or never have downtime, right? So those things let you know that your nervous system is kind of in this activated high alert state, right? And if your nervous system is kind of here, and if you're having trouble sleeping, and everything kind of irritates you, whether it's PMS time, or just all the time, that lets you know that you're, you're kind of in that fight or flight mode, right? And that will directly impact your hormones, because the body will always want to prioritize cortisol production before, you know, sex hormone production before um, digestion, breaking down your food, things like that.
1: Well, now that you've just described me in a nutshell, (laughs) save me, Jess, save me from all of this pain I've had my whole life, not physical pain necessarily, but just the pain of this hormonal imbalance. I mean, you you literally described almost every symptom I have almost on a regular basis, right? Um, I I tend to have very strong PMS uh, mood swings um, where for about a week before my period, I just become basically a monster in my own home and then it changes. And yeah. you know I have that after an afternoon fatigue, I have the afternoon brain fog. Um, now, could there be other contributions to that? Yes, I'm on a medication right now. I'm a two time breast cancer survivor. So I'm on a medication right now that I have to take for a couple of years, that those are some of the side effects. So, you know, could it be convoluted at this point? Sure. Um, but you know, the older I get, you know, all those things, you know, with my age and, you know, being premenopausal and all those things. I mean, there's so many contributions, but you mentioned that about periods and about dreading having it. And that's me. And now that I'm done having kids, (laughs) I kind of just want it to go away. I kind of just want to go into menopause so I could just be done with it forever. I mean, it's kind of cruel. Those, those last like 10 years, maybe even longer for some people, 10, 15 years of your life when you're done having kids and you're still stuck with, all of the other stuff that comes with it, um, I just yeah it's it's hard, so anyway, I have so many questions for you. Um, I'm not yeah. even sure where to start because uh, you've hit on so many things, but um let's start with the cortisol because obviously, as a therapist, I work a lot with the stress hormone and helping people uh, lower their cortisol levels um you know therapeutically so um,
2: from your professional advice, how can we naturally lower lower our cortisol yeah, so. You know, there's a lot of ways to naturally lower lower cortisol. I want to talk about the food component because, you know, we just talked a little bit about a little bit ago about, um, food, nutrition, that being one element of balancing hormones. So- through nutrition, you truly can lower stress on the body. Okay, so for starters, and this is, I, I think it's really good with nutrition. Just when you're building or creating anything, that you start with a solid foundation before you start working on the trimmings and the fixtures and the de- decorations. And the foundation first is just making sure you're eating enough, making sure that you are you're not skipping breakfast, you're not fasting, um, and, and that might push some people's button buttons, but fasting really raises, uh, cortisol levels. Um, so that would be where you want to start before we get into, okay, am I, am I eating healthy enough? Am I, you know, am I adding in this? Am I adding in that? Just make sure you're eating enough. So you want to ideally have some type of a breakfast, uh, 30 minutes to an hour upon waking. Now, when I say some type of a breakfast, if you're a breakfast skipper, I don't, You know, if I work with a client and they tell me that they don't eat till 11 or 12, I'm not like, okay, you need to eat, start with a full meal first thing in the morning. Start with just something small. If you're, if you're not used to eating breakfast, like kind of build your way up into eating a full meal, but you do want to have a breakfast, right? Because you haven't had anything to eat for, hopefully you've been sleeping for eight hours, right? So you literally, you need to fuel your metabolism. And even like a
1: banana or a piece of toast or, you know, a yogurt or something small, like
2: you said, can still, yeah. you know, do that first thing in the morning. Right. Right. And if you're not, if you're not eating anything in the morning, what it signals to your body is like, oh, okay, she's not eating anything. Okay. Let's start to kick up stress hormones because there's nothing, there's no fuel in the tank. Right. And right cortisol is highest in the morning, or it should be highest in the morning cortisol, since we're talking about cortisol, it gets a bad reputation, it's not all bad cortisol, it kind of gets us out of bed and gets us going. So if you feel kind of groggy in the morning, or you need coffee, right to like get your day going, or one of those, you know, don't talk to me until I've had my coffee, there could be some imbalance with your cortisol and your melatonin. So that's and that really is for someone that Um, yeah, they're groggy in the morning, but then at night that tired, but wired feeling like, Oh my God, I'm exhausted, but I can't fall asleep. Right. So eat breakfast in the morning. This is crucial. And then after that, you want to try to eat every three, three and a half, four hours. Like that's the goal. This is how you help to balance your blood sugar and balancing your blood sugar. What we want is we kind of want to have waves as opposed to spikes and dips with blood sugar. I'm bringing my hands like up and down these spikes And then these big drops with blood sugar, that drop is literally when you get like a headache or you feel lethargic, um, you feel dizzy, you get exhausted in the afternoon. That's what we're trying to prevent with eating every couple hours because every time your blood sugar is doing this like, here we go, I'm spiking up and then I'm dropping down. It's doing the same thing with your cortisol, your cortisol levels, right? And if your blood sugar drops, your body's like, well, there's nothing here. Okay, well, we need something. Send cortisol, right? Right. (laughs) Right. It's not like this is happening. This is happening throughout the day as women are incredibly busy. They're working, they're taking care of their kids. And sometimes they're not even like thinking about food, unfortunately. Yeah, you forget. All of a sudden, you know, you think, oh my gosh, I never ate lunch today. And and it happens, right? It (laughs) has happened, yeah. So that, that is like the key. And that's a very good starting place before you get into, okay, I have to eat healthy and portion sizes or any of that stuff is like eat breakfast, eat every three to four hours after that. That's where you want to start. The second place with making sure that you're keeping cortisol at bay is you want to pair carbohydrates and protein together always. And that's another mistake with blood sugar is that we, will eat like a high carbohydrate meal, which yes, that's better than eating nothing, but that can bring your blood sugar up. And then if it comes all the way up, there's nowhere to go but down. Right now, the popularity of these like low carb, no carb keto diets, if you're only eating protein and fat, that brings your blood sugar down. We don't want that. We want it kind of hanging out here. And blood sugar fluctuates. If it didn't fluctuate, you'd be dead, right? So we kind of want it hanging out Kind of in waves in the middle we just want to prevent these spikes and these dips so that would be um cortisol in terms of nutrition that's like where you want to start protein and carbohydrates at each each meal eating every three to four hours making sure you're having breakfast okay and then the other aspect of cortisol which you know kim it's really making sure that you are not in go mode 24 7
0: Like this is really
2: important. And this is where our hormones are connected to cortisol and our stress levels is we, our cycles are not, you know, a a 24 hour cycle where we're just like, go, 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 go. We have different phases where we need to slow down, where we need active rest and active rest, I think is different than sleep. Active rest is I am consciously actively going to listen to my body, slow down and rest, even though I have this long list of things to do because my rest and my recovery is a priority.
1: Right. <clears throat> and I actually noticed myself, and I don't know how you feel about this, but I noticed myself having a better afternoon, not having that sluggish, fatigue, brain fog type afternoon that run like that 2 to 4 p.m. Time, mm-hmm. t- time frame where you're, you just kind of hit a wall um, when I exercise during the day, how do you feel that exercise uh, is a component in um, you know, managing our homo- hormone imbalances? Because I do feel like I have more energy throughout the day that's more sustainable when I add yeah. that into my daily routine.
2: Yeah, no, that's a good question. Exercise is an interesting thing. Exercise is, it's incredibly important. I think we just want to be mindful of where your body and your stress levels are currently at. Because I've worked with a lot of women that are over-exercisers. And if you're over-exercising and you're under-fueling and then you're over-stressed, you're you're essentially depleting your body. You're pulling away resources. And those resources are going to come from where? Sex hormone production, calm mood, right, steady mood, um, deep sleep, and digestion. So if you have those things going on, but let's say, for example, you're working out five days a week. OK, you know, you, you, you need to pull it back a little bit. Your body is depleted and exercise is wonderful, but exercise is not stress relief in a stressed body. So if your body, if you are stressed, if you're depleted, if you're not eating enough, if you're not getting enough protein, if you just went through something and I'm sure you experience this with your clients, they go through some major change in their life, a breakup, they move, they get a new job, they lose their job. Um, illness of a family member, something like that, like you are going to be depleted for a chunk of time, however long that's going to be and exercise, you might have to reevaluate how much you're exercising, how much rest you need after that exercise, if you're eating enough to support that exercise around that change, because you could be pulling away from your body's resources. So that's something that's really important, especially if it's like, intense exercise or if it's, you know, high cardio running, spinning, those types of things.
1: That's exactly true. And I always like to demystify the myth around toxic productivity. I've talked a lot about that in the past. And just, you know, there's this cliche around self-care. I've talked about that before too, because you know as as moms especially as parents we're told oh you need to self care throughout the day and you're like when the heck do I have time for that like that's one more thing i have to add to my to do list you know it's like i have to now self care and then you sit there for 10 minutes thinking what am i doing with my time right so um, it's hard, but like you said, it is important to have that active rest. It, it, sometimes it takes practice to be able to slow our, our brains down, our bodies down, and to actually nourish that time you know, for ourselves, um, even physically and mentally, to, to really get the benefits
2: of, of that self-care, right? It is, yeah. And I think another thing too is it's not talked about enough how self-care or you time or slowing down can feel really uncomfortable. Right, it's kind yes. of glamorized. It's like self care. I'm lighting a candle and taking a bubble bath, and it's. <laughs> I'm in a bubble bath, right? <laughs> and like, I I have a tub, and I don't I haven't even used it. I and I don't have kids, and I can't imagine if I had kids running around that I would even want to fill the tub because then you have to clean it and drain it, and then you got to get all the soap off your body. Anyway, my point yeah. <laughs> is, is that we need to kind of part ways with this glamorous idea of what self care is, and often it's. Little bit uncomfortable, and for a lot of women, slowing down and like just being with yourself, and you know, how has my day been? Let me check in with myself. It's a little bit uncomfortable, especially if it's not something that you're used to. So, you know, and it doesn't need to be this like hour long meditation thing. You know, if you do a self check in, whatever that might be, for a few minutes a day, or you just before you fall asleep, place one hand on your heart, take a couple of breaths, and check in with yourself, like that could be self care as well. Exactly. I agree. Just to wrap up this half, we're going to take a break in
1: just a minute. But I love something that you wrote um, that I read on your Instagram. And it says, you can't heal your hormones, gut, metabolism, or thyroid if you don't balance your blood sugar. So I love that you gave tips on how to, to balance that a little more, you know, eating 30 minutes or so after you wake up, eating every three hours after that. Anything else you want to add on that topic before we move on? So after we take the break, we're going to talk a little bit more in detail about estrogen, progesterone, and how to naturally balance our hormones.
2: Yeah, I think um, in terms of balancing your blood sugar, um, one thing to kind of add on to that would be kind of that next next level. Once you get into a place where you're comfortable, all right, I'm eating my breakfast, I'm eating every couple of hours. Um, You know, we don't have to get so caught up in, is my fiber portion perfect? Is my fat portion perfect? Is my carbohydrate? Is it too much? You don't have to get too caught up in that. I think what matters most, and protein is a really tough one for women, is making sure you get a, a good amount of protein. Protein is satiating. Protein truly balances your blood sugar. Like if once you increase your protein intake, you just feel better. And a lot of the, like that brain fog and like that, you know, kind of that lethargic feeling or, or, oh, I just ate an hour ago and I'm hungry again, or oh, I'm craving sugar. That kind of fades away. I've noticed that with every woman I've worked with, that protein to increase your protein intake is not easy, but once that becomes the focus, a lot of those day-to-day like kind of feeling yucky, headachey sugar cravings, it really dissipates once protein becomes the star of your meal. I love that. I'm definitely gonna do that. I
1: do eat small meals throughout the day. I am I have been good at that over the years, which has helped my metabolism and you know other things as well. Um, but I, I definitely like the idea of adding more protein to that because sometimes as a mom, I just kind of fit in wherever I can. And if that means eating my left the leftover chicken nuggets on my kid's plate, <laughs> after a meal, which I shouldn't be admitting that to you. But, you know, sometimes you just eat to survive, you know, but you need to eat, you know, to thrive as well. And I think those are some really good tips on how to do that. And to keep that in mind, because you also mentioned in a post about waking up in the middle of the night, and how it's not always just to pee, like, it's not normal to wake up. And you mentioned something between the one o'clock and three o'clock timeframe, and what that can do. And is that also related to our cortisol
2: and our blood sugar? Oh, definitely. Yeah. So I I call it like the blood sugar mirror. So people will get kind of like sleepy, um, like, oh, I need a second coffee, maybe like at two in the afternoon, two in the afternoon. And then now we have 2am. And a lot of people will wake up around that time. So if you kind of find that you fall into one or often, it's both of these categories, that lets you know, like your blood sugar is kind of like off the charts. So if you find yourself waking up 1am, 2am, and you're like, oh, I have to pee. No, it's not your bladder. That's just, you know, you wake up and your bladder is probably full. So yes, you do have to use the bathroom. But your liver during that time frame, which is why another yet another reason why sleep is so crucial, our liver is working really hard to detoxify our body. So our liver stores glucose in the form of glycogen, right? And the liver, if it runs out of glucose to do its job, our, our body could literally get an adrenaline response waking us up. And it's just our body saying, hey, you're you're out of sugar, give us more sugar. So that's one thing. Another thing too, is just yeah, if your cortisol's kind of off the charts, sim- very similarly, your body can have a cortisol response and, and wake you up as well. So that's a reason why I do recommend if you're working on your blood sugar, a tiny bedtime snack Um, maybe like an hour before bed. So if you're having your dinner, people have dinner different times, let's say if you're having your dinner anywhere, anywhere between seven and 8pm, you can have a small bedtime snack, like an hour to an hour and a half after that. Um, And that's just to give your body just like a little bit of like cottage cheese and some fruit, for example, a little bit of protein, a little bit of carbohydrates. Um, And this can really help your body sleep throughout the night because it keeps your blood sugar kind of mellowed out.
1: Wow. I had no idea, honestly, because I'm that person. Um, I didn't realize that my blood sugar levels and my cortisol levels, because I know I've gotten my cortisol levels um tested in the past. and I remember, I, I don't remember all the details. It's very vague, but I remember something about how like the highest you could get on this test was like a 10. If your cortisol levels were a 10, it was like the maximum, right? And I yes. think mine were like at a nine. I'm not kidding. Like it's just you know, and this was when I was younger. I was probably a teenager at the time, maybe college. I mean, this has been something oh, wow. I've been suffering from or really been dealing with my whole life that I can as long as long as I can remember. Um, but I have noticed myself getting that slump around two, three, four o'clock. Where it's like almost feel like I can't function, and then I am the one that wakes up around two in the morning, and I'm wide awake, and I can't fall back asleep, and I just haven't been able to figure it out. So um, I love the tips that you shared. I know you probably have more tips that you can share as well, and I know you you know share tips online, but I'm definitely going to be looking into that more more so um, because I didn't really attribute that to to mm-hmm. cortisol and blood sugar, you know, or even hormonal imbalance. I really just yeah. thought that was just something that was wrong with me, <laughs> you know? No, so, no, 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 nothing wrong no, with me. I didn't realize how problem. normalizing it is to know that I'm definitely not the only one out there suffering from that. That's kind of a normal thing that a lot of us can go through.
2: It is. And and that's why I was I was saying that just this pattern that I see that two in the afternoon and then the 2 a.m., um, it's really, really common. But, and yeah, we're we're not taught about blood sugar. We're not. Women are taught, you know, unfortunately, we're taught a lot about weight loss and dieting and- Do lots of cardio to burn calories. We're taught those things, but we're really not taught, hey, this is how you truly balance your blood sugar so you have steady energy all day long, right? Right. You know, we're taught, oh, yeah, you can have, you know, have more coffee
1: things exactly. like that. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes, exactly. And that's actually what my husband would tell me because I didn't even drink coffee until 2020 during the pandemic when we were all shut down okay. and I was at home <laughs> and I was you know used to being on the go all the time and had this kind of natural energy. And then I noticed that just being at home all the time and you know, being with my kids and my husband 24 seven, I kind of started getting <laughs> into that slump. And so I did start yeah. drinking coffee at that time. And then the one coffee in the morning didn't, you know, around two, 3pm didn't last me that long. So should I avoid or if someone else who's listening out there, it's not all about me, obviously, but you know, <laughs> should I avoid that two o'clock coffee? Or, you know, should, should I just grab some like a protein bar instead? And will that only help me get through the afternoon, but then also help me sleep better through the night, you think?
2: Oh, that's a good question. You know, yeah, the coffee question. I think that co- you shouldn't do coffee after 12 noon, ideally, or caffeine in general. I don't drink coffee, but I drink matcha, but I I don't drink it after 12 noon. Um, it's really tricky. I mean, like some people, you know, they can have an espresso at 8 p.m. and they knock out in two hours and they're fine. But, you know, I think if you're someone that if you are working on your blood sugar, and if you find that your energy isn't what you'd like it to be, if you you get in the afternoon slump and or you're waking up at 2 a.m., if there's something that kind of lets you know there's something going on. And if you if you have a busy life, you have some stress levels that are higher than you'd want them to be. There's stuff going on with your blood sugar and your cortisol. You, caffeine can oop, just kind of give your cortisol levels that little bit of a spike that you want to try to avoid so try to have just that caffeine before 12 noon and just one cup if possible and have food around it that's really really important um you know i get it a lot of women they're like i get up and i have my coffee first thing because it's my me time before the craziness of the day sets in or before my kids get up but You have to have some food before coffee it's so important coffee it's really dehydrating Um, It does push your cortisol levels up. And for some people, it suppresses their appetite. So you know, if you if you find yourself reaching for that afternoon cup of coffee, and then you're not having a snack, right, or you're not eating something, you know, that lets you know, like, okay, you got to push that coffee out, and you should be eating some food instead, right? Yes. Yeah. And some the ones with protein in it, as, as you mentioned,
1: right? Yes. All right. Let's take a quick break. We're going to come back and we're going to talk more specifically about estrogen and progesterone and, you know, how we can maybe balance those a little more and, and what that means. We'll be right
0: back.
2: Okay, so before the break, we talked a lot about our blood sugar levels,
1: cortisol levels, you know, things that might give us a hormone imbalance. So, and as I mentioned, I'm a two-time breast cancer survivor. Out of all the tests that I did um, with my doctors, they declared me as being very estrogen-positive, estrogen-heavy. I know there's lots of different terms for it. So I know I have a lot of estrogen in my body, and I know I'm probably deficient in progesterone, um, mm-hmm. but can you share a little bit more about what that means, um, you know, what the difference between the two
2: hormones are and how we might know if we're deficient in one or the other? Yeah. So the thing with progesterone and estrogen is we we need both, but they can oppose each other. So progesterone, the way we kind of want to think about it is it it keeps estrogen in check, Right. And I think with estrogen, there's a big issue. So we'll, we'll talk about um, progesterone, but I want to make sure that I I touch upon estrogen and excess estrogen and why there's a lot of women dealing with that. So I think it was like, we touched upon this way early on with constipation. So if you are not pooping, you could be recirculating um, excess estrogen that's supposed to be eliminated through your poop. So that's something that's really, really important. Um, and even if you are going, if you lean a little bit more and you can look at, um, if you, for those of you that are listening and you're like, what does she mean? The Bristol stool chart, just Google Bristol stool chart, and it'll give you just a number so you can kind of look at where your poop is at. So if your poop is a little bit more, even if you do go, but if it leans more towards <clears throat> the constipated side and it's a little bit more pebbly right like if you're pooping out pebbles you could still be con- more constipated even though you do have a go right so that's something that's incredibly important like if your detox system your internal detox system is not functioning properly there's there very well might be an issue with estrogen so that's something to really take take note of um along with pooping if you're not sweating So that's another thing, too, is and I know we touched upon exercise and I said, we want to be careful that you don't overexercise. Right. And often we need we need like exercise to really tough exercise to help us sweat. But your body should be able to sweat fairly easily if you're having a tough time sweating. Right. That's something that you definitely want to kind of look into. Um, My clients that have a tough time sweating, there's there's a couple of tips that I give them is you got to keep your hoodie on which they're like, Oh, this is terrible. But you know, if you're moving your body, do some yoga, do some planks do, you know, if you're going on a walk or lifting weights, like keep your hoodie on just to kind of get your body warm and, and kind of give it that nudge to sweat, make sure you're hydrated enough, make sure you have enough minerals. Sometimes we're just simply not sweating because our body's dehydrated, or we're low in minerals, and it just doesn't want to give anything up. Um, So that's another thing as well. I'm glad you mentioned that because I am not a sweater. I, okay. I never have been.
1: <laughs> I do poop okay. So I feel like I'm good on Yay. that. Still. I've always had regular poops and they're all, you know, they're not pebbly or anything. So I feel like I'm pretty good with that. Now I did have troubles... Before I realized I was gluten intolerant. Once I became, uh, you know, gluten free, that has changed tremendously, t- tremendously in my life. But, um, yeah. but the sweating thing, yeah. Uh, and I do know I don't drink enough water. Um, so, side, I know you, you have much more to talk about for the estrogen and progesterone. But I have a quick question about bloating because yes. that's something I know I, I deal a lot with is just that extra bloating. Now, I thought I read once, you know, because Google knows everything, right? So yes. I think I googled <laughs> one. How do I help bloating and? Um, it said to drink more water, which seemed counterintuitive to me at the time. So I thought, oh, if I drink more water, that's going to make me more bloated. But is there truth to that? I mean, how how can we if we segue just for a second on yeah. specifically bloating? So I was thinking about drinking water and sweating and being dehydrated, which I know I definitely have, and that contributes to my headaches and whatever. Um, but is that true about bloating, or any other tips you have about
2: how to help that specifically, or is that one no, yeah. of our hormones too? No, totally. No, I love talking about bloating and especially talking about, you know, this, a lot of this conversation is things that are, that women are dealing with that are very common, but that are not normal. And, and certainly bloating is one of them. You should be able to eat a meal, not experience bloat. You should be able to drink water, assuming you're not chugging it and not experience any bloat. So, Okay, there's a couple of components that come along with, with bloating. I think the first one is, and this is really important, this is about the nervous system, is that we know there's fight or flight, there's rest and digest, and it's literally called rest and digest. So our body needs to be in a calm rest and digest state to break down our food and to produce stomach acid more often than not, we're eating on the go and we're eating distracted. We're eating busy and we're eating, I'm guilty of it too. We eat while we're scrolling on our phone. We eat while we're you know, telling our kids, you know, sit back down, finish your food. We eat while we're multitasking. We eat, uh, so many women eat on, on their lunch break while they're working. So it's not even a lunch break. So with that being said, if you do not give your body actual time to transition out of that activated state right which is fight or flight where cortisol is pumping you're running off of adrenaline and you're in go mode how is your body going to be able to break down your food it just can't and stomach acid is something that we associate acid with (laughs) oh that's bad i don't want to be acidic no we need stomach acid to literally helps to break down our food so that way we can actually absorb the nutrients in our food right right? So if we're eating, like if I'm, for example, if I'm having my lunch while I'm at work, and I'm also typing and sending emails at the same time, and I'm eating my food, then I feel bloated after. It's easy to be like, well, what I ate caused the bloating. Maybe, but also maybe your body was not in a state to digest your food. And then we see this over and over and over. If you are in this chronically stuck, activated state all the time you're going to be bloated all the time and then we have this association association where we're like oh my gosh everything makes me bloated and then everything does make you bloated and it's a really tough cycle to get out of so this that is like the biggest 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 thing that i see um with women and just trying to like step away from your computer putting the phone down when when you eat taking a few deep breaths before you eat Taking a minute to look at your food and just literally like 20 se- seconds of gratitude or 30 seconds, whatever you have time for, of the for the food that's in front of you to like, OK, I'm grateful I can receive some nourishment. I'm grateful for a moment to like sit, be with myself. It, cha- it really does change a lot of things. And like just letting your body feel safe. OK, it's, it's OK to slow down. Right. It's OK to sit and enjoy and enjoy. Right, whether mm-hmm. it's food or something you're drinking, or just enjoy the moment. Yeah. Okay. mindful, right. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So that's one thing. Sorry, I don't want to like take up the entire like five hours. No, this about- is fascinating to me. I love it. No, give me all the tips. <laughs> okay, okay. So then, now when I also touched upon stomach acid, right? So st- a lot of women are low in stomach acid. If you have like a history of chronic stress, just or chronic busyness, we can call it um, constipation, if your gut gets irritated easily. Also, if you have like a history of antibiotics, which I think a lot of us, we just took a ton of antibiotics as kids. I know I did, um, you know, you could have some impaired gut function. And so it's it might be tough for your body to produce stomach acid, right? So maybe you're in your calm rest and digest state, but you're just low in stomach acid. So that's something to really look into is to really help your body produce, stomach acid. And there's different ways that you can do this. But I think one of the main things is having food in your diet that like, for example, doing a little bit of warm lemon water, um, a tiny amount, I'm going to make this crystal clear. A very Because this is like, this is something that I this is like, I, I would tell this to a client that I'm working closely with, I don't want everyone to go run and do this. And then all of a sudden, they're like, Oh, wait a minute, I don't know if I did this, right. So a very, small amount, maybe like an eighth to a fourth, a teaspoon of apple cider vinegar um, with a little bit of warm water before they have their meal. Um, there's different various like digestive enzymes. Dig- like probiotics even, Are would those I'm help? Sorry, scratch that. Um, <clears throat> digestive bitters. Okay. Yeah. So you can do You can do digestive bitters, but again, you just want to be mindful of the things that you're doing. And this isn't like advice I would give out to anyone in terms of, okay, just throw, throw this in there, throw this in there. You really want to make sure you're taking your time with a specific protocol. You want to take a look at your nervous system first. And then of course, there's the food that you're actually eating. Um, I found that with a lot of like cold foods, raw veggies, smoothies, these types of food, they can just be difficult on digestion. Um, And if you're having impaired digestion, you want to give your body foods that are easier to digest. It's really as simple as that. Um, So cook your veggies, stew them, roast them. Um, I think smoothies are great. They're great before a workout or after a workout. They're also great if you're, if it's between not eating, if you're really busy and having a smoothie, have the smoothie. Um, but you just want to be mindful if you're having some digestion issues and like you have a a smoothie for breakfast every day, maybe your body needs something a little bit warmer, um, warmer in terms of digestion to help with the bloating. So that would be really something to look at. Um, And then, of course, you know, making sure that you're getting in the foods that your body can really recognize. I think we, we have a lot of convenience foods, a lot of like, you know, protein bars that have like synthetic vitamins and kind of these ingredients that our body just doesn't really know it doesn't know what to do with them it can't quite recognize them. So you just want to be careful of that. I think again those things are okay if you're in a pinch or in a hurry, but if you're doing like the same protein bar for example every day and you or a couple times a week and you find you're having some digestive stress, that's something to take a look at of maybe okay my body might need a break from those. Let me give it some food that's a, it can recognize so it's easier to digest and break down. Right? Well, that was very helpful. Thank you. I know we completely segued <laughs> off
1: of our we did. hormone conversation, but um, we did. Our, okay. it's helpful though. Cause I mean, it's something I think I hear a lot of women talk about. Uh, a lot of moms I talk to, just some of my friends. It's it just, it's a constant Topic that comes up all the time, so yeah, that was very helpful. Okay, so let's go back. So we're you know getting uh, close on time, but I want to talk a little bit more yes. about the function of progesterone now because we talked a little bit about estrogen, how we don't know if we have enough. I know you you have a great post, recent post on Instagram that is a carousel post that kind of goes you know through this. Um, but I like I said when I was reading your post, I thought, oh my gosh, I have to be low in progesterone because I literally ticked off every single symptom that it had on there. So, but I want to share that with everybody else, um, you know, right now, and and then how we can naturally maybe produce more of that progesterone. So we don't have those symptoms.
2: Yeah, so okay, so a couple things. So progesterone, the first thing I would say not the first thing it does, because it does several things, but I want to talk about that it helps keep your libido up. And this is important to mention, because I think we've associated like low sex drive with age. Like, well, I'm getting older, so my metabolism's going in the trash, and I'm not interested in sex anymore. And that's sex is a very important part of healthy hormone function, and orgasms help our body to also produce more progesterone. Right. Exactly. They help calm the nervous system. They're they're wonderful. They're wonderful for you. But anyway, so that would be something that's a, a big function of progesterone that I think. Kind of gets forgotten, and and it and it's not really talked about a lot, Um, and it should be talked about more. And I want more women comf- comfortable talking about, you know, my libido's low, and it shouldn't be. My libido's low, and I don't want it to be. Um, so yeah, so that's one thing. That's one thing I wanted to make sure I get that out there. Um, progesterone also really helps with our moods. It's it has like a calming effect. So that's something that's important if you're like on edge all the time or about everything of course there are other components to um feeling on edge or low mood that are not progesterone related but that's a big um part of progesterone is it helps keep um it keeps us calm and it's almost like a little bit of a natural antidepressant Mm -hmm. um so yeah hormones do play a really big a big part um in our mood um Another thing is it's incredibly important for it works closely with our thyroid and it really helps to f- facilitate the action of our thyroid hormones, which is why carbohydrates are so, so important, right? We exactly. really, carbohydrates keep, help to keep stress hormones down. Carbohydrates also support the thyroid too. So that's something that's important. So eat your potatoes please eat your oranges, eat your bananas, (laughs) eat your apples, eat your fruit, eat your mango, your pineapple, all of that stuff. I love it. So how can we, is that how we do it naturally? How can we
1: raise those progesterone levels naturally? I know there's there's suppositories, there's creams, there's all sorts of things you can get through a doctor, you know, that can uh, prescribe something to you, but how can we do it at home naturally to see if that might be enough that what we need without going through all of that other.
2: Yeah. So a big one, and we talked a quite a bit about this so i I'm not, i won't like rehash it too much but it's eating enough if you are undernourished if you're not eating enough but you are overworked you're busy you're stressed and then on top of that you're trying to exercise that is going to really deplete your progesterone levels period so you have to make sure you are eating enough once you are in a place where you're eating enough then you can kind of make sure that you're getting ideally 100 grams of protein a day which i know sounds like a lot but if you're eating your breakfast, your snack, your lunch, your other snack, your dinner, and maybe a bedtime snack, it's e- I don't want to say easy, but it's easier to get it in if you're eating like all the meals throughout the day that ideally you should be eating. So that's incredibly important. Another thing too is we need to make sure that we are getting healthy sources of cholesterol. Now, whew, cholesterol is a very hot <laughs> yeah, that's like thing. a whole other topic. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. We won't go there, but. I know it's a very hot topic and I know that, you know, in the 90s and the early 2000s, cholesterol was like, oh my gosh, it's, you can't eat uh, egg yolks, you can't eat red meat because, you know, it's going to raise cholesterol levels. And that's not true. Quality cholesterol is incredibly important because it makes pregnant pregnenolone, which gets converted to progesterone. Right, right. So, this is incredibly important. So eat your egg yolks. have when you eat your chicken, keep the skin on it, right? You can yeah. have bacon, bacon if it's there's no um added hormones or antibiotics, if it's organic, go ahead and eat it. It's wonderful for you. It's also a great source of B vitamins. And I know that this is something that's controversial, and a lot of people are like, "No, she's completely wrong. There's not a lot of studies, particularly about pre- cholesterol that have been done on women surrounding women's hormones and ovulating women's hormones. So this is something that's really interesting. Important that if you are reading any studies pertaining to cholesterol, if they're done on men, that's going to be pretty different than any type of studies that have been done on women. Exactly. Um, wow. That is yes. interesting. Hmm. So, okay. So moving on from that, um, make sure you are getting a lot of vitamin C foods. Now, You don't have to necessarily supplement with vitamin C. Food sources are going to be ideal. So oranges are wonderful. Kiwi, bell pepper, um, pineapples, one strawberries or, or another one too. So just have these high vitamin C foods in your rotation and try to get a variety throughout the week. That's incredibly important. Vitamin C really helps with progesterone production. Um, and then I definitely want to touch upon one that I don't think we have really touched upon yet. And that is sleep. (laughs) Now, oh, I love it.
1: I love talking about sleep
2: and how important it is because we always, I feel like diminish it. But yes, please continue. I love it. Yeah. Sleep is a tough one, I, especially for moms. And like I, I I work with some moms that are newer moms and it's sleep is like, forget it. It's not going to happen. Exactly. Once your kids are at an age where they can sleep throughout the night, you know, a lot of times what I'll see with women is they're like, finally, at the end of the night, I have some me time. So then they'll stay up to unwind, but that staying up to unwind, they're not really technically unwinding because that's when we're doing our, our social media scrolling. That's when we're Googling and researching or like we're on Amazon. So they are not technically unwinding and it's, and it's, yes, it's me time or you time, whatever, but it might not be the, the best quality, right? So that's a really tough one is prioritizing a as regular as possible sleep schedule. Our body loves the consistency of, okay, going to bed at 1030. Every night, here we go. 1045, that's okay. 1015, okay. But when it's passing out at 10am, because you're totally exhausted, going to bed at 1am, couldn't fall asleep till two, going to bed at midnight, going to bed at 11. It just really stresses out the body. So that's another thing too. And yeah, I, sleep is really, really tough. It's one of those things that it's tough for everyone, um, but it's incredibly important because it, not just when I know I'm digressing a little bit away from progesterone, <laughs> but you know, for melatonin production and mel- because melatonin is not just the, the sleepy hormone, it's that, but it's also an incredibly powerful antioxidant. So if we're going to bed at midnight and then 10 and then 11 and then, you know, one and all these different times, our melatonin is going to get completely thrown off. And if we're not producing that melatonin, we're missing out on that incredibly powerful um, antioxidant. Right. Exactly. Oh my gosh. We could probably talk for hours because I
1: have like a million more questions, but um, where can people find you online, um, on social so they can get more of your tips um, that are amazing that they can continue to follow along and you know,
2: get more help from you? Yes. So um, Instagram, you can find me. It's Jess and my website is nourishwithjess.com. I love it. I love keeping things just simple and right to the point. (laughs) They can find it easier that way.
1: (laughs) Jess is a (laughs) common name, so I got very lucky that those were available. (laughs) Exactly. Same, same. Well, thank you so much, Jess, for all of your advice today. Um, I, I hope everyone took notes. If not you know, listen to this again, take your notes because there's so many great nuggets in there um, and very tangible things and practical things that we can do at home, like increasing our vitamin C, increasing our protein and, you know, getting on a regular sleep schedule. Like those things are doable. Like we can actually do those and not have to, you know, spend thousands of dollars, you know, going to the doctor and going on a a bunch of supplements and pills and all the things. Um, There's definitely things we can try first at home that are more naturally based um, to
2: help us in these areas. Definitely. Yes. And take it one thing at a time. I think that's really important just to kind of wrap everything up on, you know, we covered a lot and I'm sure that those of you guys listening, I'm sure you already are doing quite a few things. Take it one thing at a time. um, You know, when we get that urge to kind of fix everything at once or do all of the things that can really rev up the nervous system. So one thing at a time, really master that one thing until that thing becomes a staple, and then you can move on to trying the next thing.
1: Exactly. I love it. Well,
2: again, thank you so
1: much. If you love this episode, please leave a review. Um, We'd love to hear your feedback. And um, thanks for listening. And thanks again,
2: Jess. Yeah, thanks, Kim.
1: Thank you for joining me today. I cannot wait for you to listen to more episodes. If you are a new listener, I recommend starting at my best of year one episode first. Then make sure to subscribe so you don't miss a thing. And when you love an episode, please leave a review. And if you want to stay connected between episodes, please visit me on social media at The Parentologist and on my blog at theparentologist.com. This podcast is not intended to be a replacement for therapy. If you or someone you know is in crisis, please call 911. 911.